Hey, listeners. After five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers. And I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving. Just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees, every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals. We want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 33. We have a great interview today with an emergency physician. We're looking forward to that. Uh, But thinking about that, that made us recall our various visits to the emergency room, of which Sarah and I have both made multiple trips. You all for one kid, though, right? Yes, we have never had to go for Annabelle, and Cameron has been three times. I don't know how that happened, but maybe just uh, actually, I do. You so know how that happened. I'm a, yeah, I'm a physician. So the truth is, my bar for going to the ER is pretty 
My husband thinks it's not that high, but I think it's fairly high. <laughs> so we'll argue about it. So his must be even higher. But there were a couple of breathing, like not breathing kind of episodes with croup where I knew we needed injectable steroids. And with asthma where I just looked at him and was thinking, most of my patients in residency looked better than this when they were inpatients. So what are we doing home? So those were the two respiratory ones. And then the third time, here's a lesson for everyone. If you're a doctor and your kid gets some kind of injury, don't ask the specialist who deals with the worst things in that area. So here's my example. He bumped his head. Actually, my daughter accidentally at age you know, three swung something around wooden and it bashed him in his head and it bruised and it was kind of gigantic goose egg on his head. My husband's like, you know, their heads are made for this. They're fine. But I happened to be at a meeting and our nanny texted a picture of it. It looked awful. And sitting next to me was a pediatric neurologist. Now, the pediatric neurologist doesn't see most kids who hit their head. All they see is the kids who hit their head that had something bad neurologically go wrong. So I was told, oh my God, that could be a, you know, get him to the ER right now. You don't know. There could be a bleed. So I brought him in and actually he almost got a CT scan before my husband and I were like, wait a second, this happened hours ago. He's completely fine. I wouldn't be in this froth if I hadn't, if hadn't you know, had such that. easy access to that specialist. And I guess to make a long story short, I'm very glad we did not scan him. <laughs> so yeah, that was number three. Specialists can be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Specialists can be dangerous. Specialists are fantastic. I am one, but you have to, it's probably, there's a reason that you typically go through your PCP and don't just ask them in a conference room what they think what about they think something. About, yeah. No, I've, um, we have a pretty high bar for emergency room visits too. And one, one, we have a great like urgent care place, um, that can deal with minor stuff, um, that we attempt to go to if we can. Um, and we also call my husband, Michael's brother is a pediatrician who mostly had worked in hospitals. And so he was always telling us, you know, yes, that's a problem or no, that's not a problem. And I would say most of it is not a problem. You know, even stuff that was like very scary when the kids were little, like we had, you know, one of my kids couldn't keep anything down for a while. And he's basically like, okay, give him a quarter ounce of fluids every 15 minutes until he keeps it down, you know, and keep, yep. and then, you know, it was like, okay, we didn't go in and he was fine. So it was good. Um, we have in fact, though, been to the ER for all four children. Um, <laughs> the oldest we went four for we four. Were on vacation in Carmel, California, and he swallowed a coin and it, I mean, it was one of those things that pro we didn't need to go. And if we hadn't seen it, like we wouldn't have gone, but we had seen it. And then we were like, "Uh Oh, is it going to be stuck? And so we went in, they did, you know, do the image. Um, and it was in his it looked up at the top. So we we're like, "Uh Oh, what's going to happen. So we just waited a while and, you know, then took, you know, new pictures a few hours later and it had gone down. So we realized, okay, it's just going to come out the other end. <laughs> that's uh, no, but that's, and I, did you talk to your brother about that? Like, yeah. was he the one that was like, eh, because that's the problem. If it gets stuck in the esophagus, it, yeah. then it can start eroding and then you have problems. And then and, you have seriously. So you did the right thing. We did the right <laughs> thing. But yes, that was a, a fun little um, detour on our vacation. Uh, we went for the next oldest kid. It was a little bit more of a daredevil. We were at the zoo and he, for whatever reason, elected to do like a loop-de-loop -loop on the railing of the goat cage, slammed <gasps> his head into the concrete block on the bottom. It was like, you know, bleeding profusely because, of course, head wounds do. And, you know, brought him, my husband brought him to the ER. He had a couple staples put in his head. But, you know, I was just thinking of that. Like, we, I don't know how many of our listeners uh, were following the whole saga of the kid who fell into the gorilla cage um, was <gasps> a year or two ago. I was just thinking, like, people are trying to say, oh, the parents should have controlled it. You can't 
Like you can't, the zoos have to design their exhibits to like keep the kids out of them. And we were very fortunate yes, that they should be foolproof. Well, yeah, we were very fortunate that he elected to do this on a goat cage as opposed to, I don't know, a gorilla cage. So anyway, we'll put that out there. My daughter fell out of bed. She got stitches on her chin. The youngest went to, um, for he had RSV once and I, I probably wouldn't have brought him in except, you know, I was in the, I brought him into our doctor. The pediatrician was like, well, his oxygen's really low. We called my you know brother-in-law. He's like, yeah, if it's low, you got to bring him in. So went in, they suctioned him all out and his oxygen popped right back up. So all good. Um, <laughs> and then another was this huge like contusion on his forehead. Cause he has no sense Aww. of balance or, you know, sense at all. And so he jumps off things and that will continue to happen. I'm sure we will be back for him, but uh, yeah, it's, it's never fun. <laughs> just like four for four, four for four, you know, there you are sitting there. I mean, you're, you're, it's horrible to be in there. Of course, all of this has been relatively minor and I've been in when like all of a sudden everyone has disappeared because some other child has come in with something completely life threatening. And you're just sitting there being like, I hate being here. I don't want to be here. I'm also but really you're grateful. Like, I'm so I am lucky. not that person exactly. in the room next door. So that, uh, yeah. So we'll be talking with our emergency physician um, about how how it works from that end of the people who are there when you get to the ER, um, and then how she manages the rest of her life too. Well, we are excited to welcome to the program Swati Singh, uh, who is a physician, and is going to tell us a little bit about herself, including how I just mispronounced her name. So take it away, please. <laughs> you guys did great, um, and the effort is A for effort, because most of the time people just don't try, so that's great. I really appreciate it. But Swati is totally correct, and I am an emergency physician. I live right outside of Washington, D.C. in Bethesda, Maryland, and work in a kind of urban emergency department outside of Southeast D.C. I'm not sure how much you want to know about me. I can share a lot or a little. Well, tell us about your family then as well. Yeah, so um, I have two kids. Um, my son, Veer, is seven. He'll be eight in March. And my daughter, Leela, is four, and she'll be five in April. Um, I have a husband. His name is Manpreet Anand. And this year, part of our family is our au pair, uh, Leslie Acevedo. And um, that has, I know you guys talk a lot about scheduling and logistics and having an au pair for the last, um, she's our fourth au pair, has really made things a lot easier for us since we don't have very much family in town. I have a, I have a brother um, who's also a physician. He's a dermatologist in the DC area, um, but he is single and doesn't really know a lot about childcare. He does his best when I need him to help him, but um, need him to help me. But um, I don't have, you know, a mom or grandparents around that can, um, help out when we have childcare issues. And my husband and I both have really demanding careers and um, relatively intense work schedules at times. And so, you know, scheduling and logistics can become really difficult for us. What line of work oh. is your husband then? Sorry, I, did I miss that? Uh, no, I don't think I mentioned it. So he, um, he is kind of in he's I know he's going to listen to this podcast and laugh while I try to explain his job. He's 
an expert in South Asia and Central Asia for foreign policy. So he, during the Obama administration, was the was a deputy assistant secretary for South and Central Asia. And before that, had worked at USAID. And now he works at the National Defense University. And so he's sort of a foreign policy expert in those regions. So he travels often for work. And I have overnight shifts, weekend shifts, you know, swing shifts that end at two or three in the morning. And when he's traveling and I'm working those shifts, it is really hard. (laughs) Yeah. So what sort of shifts do you wind up doing then? I guess people don't necessarily know how the, because it's physician work, but it's shift work, right? Like it's, you're assigned to certain shifts. And I got to say, I'm, I'm super interested in your secrets of how that make that, how you make that work for your body, because it may just be sort of ingrained or biologic, but I, I cannot, which is why I don't do what you do, (laughs) but tell us, tell us your secrets and what your, yeah, what your scheduling is like. So the scheduling is, um, a little nutty. I mean, when people hear my schedule, they are like, I would never do what you do. Um, they generally try to schedule us all EM physicians. The, I guess the trend would be to try to cycle through your shifts. So, you know, one week in the month, you'd be doing daytime shifts, seven to four, seven to five, seven to three. And I, I, I work in three different emergency departments. And so the shift lengths vary, but the AM shift is something between seven to three or seven to five. And then the next week they'll move us, they'll shift us down a little bit. So I may do 10 to six or nine to eight or 11 to nine, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. And then the week after that, they'll do, you know, evening shifts. So 4 p.m. to 1 a.m., 5 p.m. to 2 a.m., 5 p.m. to 3 a.m., those sort of things. And then after that, they'll do overnights. And the overnights can be 9 to 7, 10 to 7, or 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. And, you know, as an EM physician, you can't pick and choose what you work. You're part of a team that supports an emergency department. The emergency department is open 24 hours a day for any patient who ever needs you. So we always have to staff the department. And so um, I work all of those shifts. Um, We also work weekends. And um, generally, they try to, you know, preserve our weekends. So just kind of schedule us for, you know, two to four weekend shifts, um, but all like together. So they're not spread out all through the month. And as far as tricks for my sleeping, I mean, I'm pretty tired all the time. So (laughs) I feel like I do, I can sleep and I generally don't do morning duties for my kids because I, the predominant number of shifts I work are later shifts, just because if you look at the the way the day is split, there's a finite number of seven to four shifts. There's more shifts that occur midday to like later, early, or ending in the early a.m. morning hours, or you know at seven a.m. And so, I generally am like awake late at night and sleep in in the morning. So my husband or my au pair will take care of the morning duties, generally speaking. And on the days that I have to if I have to work an overnight, for example, I try to go for a really long run and be tired, like really use my body that day um, so that I can take a nap before I go into work. And there's a lot of um, working moms with kids in emergency medicine. I mean, the shift work really appeals to them because you don't have to work every day and you can be available for your children for some part of every day. And so um, 
because there's a lot of uh, working moms in our group, we've started splitting our overnight shifts. This was a suggestion I came up with because, you know, as I've gotten older, it has been harder to work overnights and be available to your kids during the day. Um, and so, you know, we'll split the night. So I'll work 2.30 a.m. to 7 a.m., which means I'll just go to bed when my kids go to bed and wake up early as if, you know, I'm catching an early flight to go on a trip or something. I've done that plenty of times before. And then I go to bed early that day or um, I just stay up and work, you know, till 2.30 in the morning and sleep in the next day. Wow. I've never heard that. That is like, if we had been allowed to do that in residency, I would have been all over that. That is amazing. I mean, obviously that you have more shifts, but that's just... Yeah. I would say, how many shifts do you work a week? Like if you're saying, you know, a week where you were doing like the 4 p.m. to 1 a.m. shift or something, I mean, how many of those would you do? Or per month might be easier to describe. I'm not typical for full clinical hours because um, I have an administrative duty with our hospital. So I'm the ultrasound director for the three emergency departments in our group. And um, point of care ultrasound or bedside ultrasound is a big part of emergency medicine that really started um, becoming universal through all emergency medicine programs when I was in residency. So the docs that have been out for a lot longer, um, you know, may not be as well versed. And so I have an educational role or I teach classes during the day. I also do quality insurance quality assurance, which is work I do from home where I'm kind of reviewing all of the scans to make sure they're correct and doing, you know, one-on-one sessions with providers. I also, there's other administrative work, developing protocols and algorithms on how to best use ultrasound in the emergency department and, you know, med student and resident lectures that I develop. So there's things that I do from home. So I only work 10 shifts a month and then I have about four shifts a month worth of ultrasound work. So I'm about 14 shifts per month where four of them are are administrative from home or, you know, teaching a class, which are daytime hours, which I can kind of schedule while my kids are at school or meetings that I might have to attend, which I'll do. Okay. I'll say I'm available between 10 and two. So I know that the kids are out of the house essentially. So now how did you wind up with using the au pair as a childcare situation? I mean, obviously that makes total sense for your shifting schedule that you would have a hard time matching that up with somebody who wasn't like in your house. But yeah. I'm curious how that first came to be and if it was at all strange at the beginning, was there a learning curve for you? How did, how did that wind up working out? So um, it really came out of necessity. Um because um, of my husband's schedule and my schedule, we started out with a nanny and she was wonderful. We loved her, but you know, she wanted regular hours and she trailed my hours. So if I worked a weird shift, she worked a weird shift and that became really um, difficult for her. She couldn't, she just, that's not what she was interested in. And I felt that a lot of nannies that we hired would, were in kind of similar boat. And my husband was traveling a lot for work. I mean, he would tell me it will be Monday and he would say, oh, on Wednesday, I got to go to Delhi for 10 days. And I'm like, <laughs> I just, wow. I, I, I can't, I, and I cannot just start giving up my shifts because then I look like this mom dilettante physician, you know, you can't do that. I mean, I feel like if a male counterpart was like, oh, I need to take care of my children because my wife is traveling, everybody would swoon at work. But if the female physicians start doing that, it, I just 
don't feel comfortable being perceived in that manner. So I have to keep up my clinical schedule and deal with Manpreet's work schedule. And so that is why we got no pair because they, um, they're they younger. So I feel like, and they're so excited to have an American experience. Uh, and it's just built into the work culture that they will, you know, they have to work whenever we need them sort of thing, rather than having regular banker's hours. It's a lot more affordable. And I, I feel like at least the au pairs that we've had have had a very close relationship with our children compared to the nannies. Cause we had before our first nanny for my daughter, Leela, we had had nannies for my son before that, when we lived in San Francisco. And I feel like the au pair experience, because someone is living in your home with you, you get to know them so well. And some people like that and some people don't like it. I really love it because I just, I know what kind of person is taking care of my child. They have a very strong bond and that's just very meaningful to me. And I feel like our au pairs have not treated their work like work. You know, they, they hang out with us even after they're done working. They, you know, our au pair went um, on our ski trip with us. We went out to West Virginia over President's Day weekend for skiing and she came with us and it was great. I mean, the kids love her. It's just a lot of quality time. So, and there is a, did you have to, I would say with the hiring then, like how much say do you have in who you get, like who's placed with you from the agency and were there certain things you said you were looking for in order to have had this good experience? Yes. So, um, you have to know what you're looking for. And I think getting advice from other moms is, or other moms that you know, that are doing this process is invaluable. You know, we wanted um, someone who was Spanish speaking because they speak to uh, speak Spanish to Lila. Lila knows more Spanish than Hindi and Punjabi now, and she thinks she's from Mexico. Like she thinks she's a Mexicana now, and because we've always had au pairs from Mexico since she was a little baby, and um, we, you know, you get to interview them online. There's a, there's a, they vet these these um, au pair candidates very much through the various um, agencies that you can apply through, and so it's a selective process just to be eligible to become an au pair. Then you interview with them. So you know, usually I would do an interview, and then Manpreet would do an interview separately. So we would just get our own individual feel. And then, you know, we would interview them together. Then we would interview them with the children. Um, and they'll give you parameters. They'll give you, you know, stats, how much experience they have with childcare, how much experience, what's their background, what's their reasoning for coming to the United States. But, you know, in the end, it is a leap of faith. I mean, you, you don't totally know how it's going to work out until they show up. And um, I think you have to be a flexible kind of person. I... I'm not that particular about a lot of things. And I think that's something I've learned, you know, having to be a, a mom who's working, I can't have everything exactly how I want it, you know? And so as long as the children are are cared for by an attentive, loving person, you know, I everything else is okay. You know, I don't nitpick about their activities um, or what they eat or, you know, I don't know. I mean, I do nitpick a little bit, um, but I, <laughs> I, I just, you have to let certain things go. Our house is not perfectly clean. I mean, they spend time cleaning up and playing, but it, it's not a spotless house and you have to be okay with that. I, I, I'm not living to perfection. I'm living 
to happiness and balance is what I'm trying, you know? So I have a question about, um, with your husband's sort of intense travel schedule, has that ever been a source of tension for you guys? Um, you know, I know that having the au pair certainly helps with some of that, but you had mentioned, you know, the, the, having the deli thing drop on you two days before, I'm, yeah. I'm sure is difficult. So why yeah. don't you talk about that? It is, it is. I mean, I don't, I have to, I mean, it definitely creates tension and, um, you know, we don't have a lot of family support, like I mentioned before. So it's, it is stressful. And I just think that, um, I really value the work that my husband does and I value my husband and I value the contribution he's making to the world. And so when he needs to do this stuff, it's really important to me also. And it's the same thing for him. I mean, I work crazy hours and he knows that I feel really good about what I'm doing, that there's no other type of physician that I could imagine being. I mean, there are definitely struggles with what I do, but when I'm at work, I feel so gratified and so happy that it, it makes the downsides worth it. And so I think there's just a lot of mutual respect and understanding but yeah, I mean, I do get tired. I get cranky. You know, when he comes back from the flight, I, you know, he doesn't get to come home and take a nap. I'm like, here are the kids. See you later. You know, <laughs> take them now. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, it's, I mean, I, it's a lot easier now because they're seven and four. I mean, when he started with his first uh, political appointment at USAID, you know, I was 36 weeks pregnant when we moved to DC and he told his boss, he said, so I can move up until Swati is 36 weeks pregnant. That's the latest her OB will let her fly. Or I can come three months after the baby is born because it'll just be too crazy before then. And his boss said, come now. So we like packed up everything, moved. I was like pounding the pavement the day I went into labor um, at um, at 38 weeks. And then when my water broke, Manpreet was like, I, I told him, I was like, Hey, Manpreet, my water broke. It was 11 o'clock at night. And he woke up, shot up out of bed. And he said, no, I'm not ready. And I was like, ah, you're not ready. <laughs> you know? Um, and so when he, and when he, when he, you know, in the beginning, when Lilo was just a few months old and I was starting my job and he was traveling, it was really hard. You know, I have a lot of help. My secret weapon is my mom. My mom, if I need her for anything my entire life, she will drop everything and come and stay with me for weeks to months at a time. Um, and that's how I got through residency. I mean, she lived with me for two years. She didn't plan on it, um, but I couldn't, you know, we couldn't really afford to have full-time care. And even with full-time care, we um, we still needed more childcare hours because I was a resident. So she came and lived with me and took care of my son. And I would there would be days where I would only see Veer at night. I would breastfeed him at night to keep my milk supply up, and I wouldn't see him sometimes for days. Um, and it was it was really hard. But she, you know. I think, I think in general, like we just have had to lean on people. My mom will come and fly up. My brother will spend the night at my house and go to work from clinic. If I'm working late and he's traveling, we have an au pair. Um, my neighbors help me out a lot. 
Um, so I have one of my best college friends um, lives about 40 minutes away. She has watched the kids on the weekends for me. I mean, you have to rely on other people to help you as much as you can. And you have to make a community. You have to build one for yourself. You know, who if you if you don't have one that's there, you have to find people who will help you. And that's how we get through it. And I think because we rely on other people to help us and we trust other people in our network, our children have wonderful relationships. I mean, my son and my mom are best friends. I mean, they they just are so in love with each other. And because my parents immigrated from India when they were young in their 20s, I, I never really got to see my grandparents very much or know them very well. And to see my son and my daughter have such a close relationship with my parents is so heartwarming and, you know, fills me up in a way that I can't imagine. And it's, it's not even like a second best thing for me. It's just, it's just wonderful that I have help when I'm not there, that people will step in to help me out when I can't do for my kids on my own. And you, you had in your notes for us, I, I wanted to share with our listeners one very practical thing you even have going on that your your neighbors, when there's snow days, yeah. like you, you guys trade off with the kids move from house to house. Yeah. Uh, so um, our neighbors first started like getting our kids together just based on our kids. They would say, I want to go to Livy and Sully's house to play. I want to go to Farah's house to play. And so they would just run over to each other's houses and they became friends. And so the parents became friends. And um, one thing that I think we started meeting regularly was my son, this is a little bit of an aside that leads up to the, the snow days. My son, you know, he was not interested in reading very much, but he's a very social guy. And so we started a book club. I told my friends, I was like, hey, you guys, I really want to get Veer into reading. So let's pick a book once a month and have the kids read and discuss and we'll have wine and pizza. And we started doing that once a month and they love that. And Veer has become a very good reader, but he also looks forward to, you know, discussing books and topics with his friends. And then, you know, after that, you know, we started relying on each other more, you know, we would have potlucks and um, just Sundays, we'd grab a quick, you know, glass of wine together and talk about the week or politics. Then on snow days, you know, because we're all working moms and dads, sometimes it's the dads who have the brunt of it. It's hard to just sacrifice an entire day just because your kid's school is closed. So, We'll take two-hour shifts, and the kids will just go from one basement to the next. And when the kids are, you know, at my house, I'm watching them, make sure, making sure they're they have hot cocoa or snacks or games to play. And then they move to the next house, and then the parents can go back to working. And that, you know, really saves us as far as you know, childcare hours, um, like rearranging your au pair or your nanny schedule. You don't necessarily have to do that, and you can still get quite a bit of work done. And in the DC area, I mean. A lot of people work for the government and they know parents are going to be, I think there's like an unwritten rule or culture like, hey, we're going to finish our work later because we have to take care of our kids. And so I don't, you know, we're able to kind of like take breaks for two hours and still get everything done if we need to on those snow days. And I mean, that's just a perfect example of how we do lean on each other. I love that. And it sounds like, yeah, you're, you're pretty calm, which I love as well. And I wonder <laughs> if, it, you know, hearing how you sort of take this all in stride, I mean, has your career had something to do with it? I mean, the fact that you've probably seen, I mean, every element of humanity possible and every disaster that can happen, it, 
do you think that's made you more even keeled and like <laughs> oh my god i love that i'm coming across as an even keeled and calm person but i guarantee you when my friends and family listen to this podcast they're going to fall out of their seats laughing because i am the last thing but that i mean i think that i try not to sweat the small stuff because yes at work i really see horrendous things and i see how fragile life is and so i don't worry about everything that I think I used to worry about. Um, but the other calming force in my life is my husband. I mean, he is really a guiding light for him, for me. I mean, I, I, I've been, I've known him for, I don't know, 15 or 13 years, a really long time. I've been married for, I think 13 years. And so I've known him for about 15 years. And after this much time, he's still the person I respect the most and look to for support the most. And He's a calm guy. He's a kind guy. He has a wonderful worldview and we all kind of lean on his foundation to, you know, make things work. And I, I think he's rubbed off on me a little bit, but I still am spastic compared to basically everyone else in my family. And that is also part of my profession. I mean, emergency medicine, you it's just so fast and things can change so quickly. Um, and you just, you know, you, you just, are constantly distracted and moving in five directions at the same time. Um, and so I think that's really where my personality is, but I, I think I can tolerate bad things a little bit more because of what I see and the, and the training that you have to go to, to become a physician. So I think any physician probably has some degree of calm because you have to sacrifice your body um, and yourself or your patients and your work, you have to, you know, delay gratification, um, for your work. And so I think all of that kind of has influenced how I've become. Well, in my experience, all the best EM physicians are this interesting blend of like hyper and Zen. So it sounds like you've, you're one of them. <laughs> I don't have the privilege of working with you directly, but I bet you're awesome. Thank you. Although one of the things that does not make her Zen, apparently, I'm looking at our notes here. She wrote to us, <laughs> cooking dinner is way more stressful than intubating a patient for me. Yes. So maybe you would like to explain that a little bit to us. Well, I mean, you know, I've trained for, you know, my entire life to become a physician. And even now I still am learning and training on how to be a better and better doctor. And I did not learn how to be a mom, to run a house, to cook dinner. And that is extremely stressful to me. I mean, planning a menu, I have to plan a menu. I have to know exactly what groceries to buy. And I have to know exactly what I'm going to cook. I can't make something on the fly. Like my mother-in-law is amazing. She can look at whatever is in her fridge and just make something beautiful and so tasty and fresh out of just whatever is in, in her pantry and in her refrigerator. I could never do that. And, you know, it's just, she grew up differently. My mom grew up differently than I did. I just, I feel like maybe by the time my kids are out of the house, I'll finally have figured out how to cook something, but it never turns out right. It never turns out like my mom's cooking does. And I always burn something. I just, I don't know how to do it. And I would definitely rather put in a central line, intubate, you know, do, do anything like that than, than cook. That is really stressful for me. So do you cook? Yeah. Yeah. I have to. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, okay. 
We don't have to. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, okay. Yes, you're right. You're right. It's pressure that I put on myself because of, you know, I think the culture that I come from, you know, my mom and my mother-in-law are amazing cooks and me and my husband grew up eating fresh rotis and, you know, like homemade vegetables and dal every day. My mom would make something every day and, and she did work, you know, not in when we were younger, but she did work during the day because she became so good at, you know, managing her house and taking care of her kids that she got bored. And so she was like, well, let me, I'll just go work at Macy's just to like keep busy. I mean, that I think that's so typical of immigrant, of immigrants, you know, they're just so hardworking that they will find more and more to do. And she just did everything till perfection. So I put pressure on myself because I want my kids to have some of what I had growing up. Um, and so I try to make Indian food once a week and that takes so long. I mean, making 10 rotis takes me over an hour and my mom can do that with her eyes closed in 10 minutes. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, and then, but I try to standardize some things because I don't like thinking about cooking too much. So Tuesdays are always taco Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I try to make that a veggie meal. So, so, cause I just, I'm trying to, you know, have them eat more fiber and that kind of stuff. So we'll just do beans on that day. And then right now my husband is, his work is not that busy right now. And so he's been helping out a lot. And so he'll take one night for dinner. So that's good. And then usually one night we'll do leftovers to clean out the fridge because I'm loathe to waste any food. I I can't stand that. And then Fridays we'll do pita pizzas, um, or maybe we'll order in sushi and watch a movie. So I kind of have things delegated out, um, or and days assigned and things that I know I can make very easily. And, you know, it's been a few years now, so I have some standard things I can go to, um, which helps, but I do feel a pressure to cook for my kids. But that seems like a very nice balance to use that word again, because you do cook, but you're, you're not, you're not slaving over the doll every single night. You're doing it in a way that's meaningful, but still makes it work. Yes. Yes. I can't do it. I mean, I, I don't have the time to do it every day. I, there's no way. And I mean, my mom and my mother-in-law wouldn't be able to tolerate it because every day that I cook the one day a week that I call Indian, I'm constantly calling them. I'm like, what, what did you, how much did you do? Tell me how you did this again. And they are like, how are you a doctor? And you're smart enough to do that, but you cannot figure this out. So funny. I think your kids are lucky because it sounds amazing and very delicious. Oh, thank you. Well, cool. Well, Sarah, did you have anything else? Anything like medicine specific? No, I think she got to most of it. I still don't know how these shift workers do it, but I also think there's a lot of natural selection that goes into people choosing things based on their strengths. And it sounds like um, Swati. Do you ever get to nap during your shift? Like, is there ever a time when the ER is not? I can't answer that for her. No, no, no. no. (laughs) I've never seen a sleeping ER doctor ever. Ever, ever. Well, maybe I'm wrong, but I've I've never seen it. I mean, if you go somewhere that's like, you know, a very rural area, they might not be as busy and you might get to nap. But, you know, in our emergency departments, it's really busy. It's flu season right now. There's a lot of sick people. We're seeing a lot of complications from influenza, you know, influenza pneumonias and people getting septic. And it's just, you know, it's real. It's always busy. Yeah, you guys are amazing. Yeah, I can imagine. 
Well, so we have this part of the show every week where we do our love of the week. Um, so something that is making us happy. Sarah, you want to go first on this one? Sure. Well, this is somewhat thematic because it does have to do with sleep. And it's also kind of a take back of a prior love of the week. So I wanted to point out that I do listen to listener feedback. <laughs> and I discussed loving Nespresso capsules and someone commented on my blog with a bit of perhaps a snarkier tone than was necessary, but still um, with a valid point that they're really not very environmentally friendly. And while they are delicious, um, she had a good point. Um, they are recyclable, but it's not that easy to do that. Anyway, so my husband and I let that ruminate for quite some time. And I guess her comment had an impact because we did switch to drip coffee and now I am super into the old school drip coffee that we drank for years and years before we drank Nespresso. So um, Allegra Colombian blend coffee and my coffee maker that I can start up with one button in the morning is my love of the week. I love that. Okay. I'll do something related then. I was going to do something else, but while we're on a coffee theme, <laughs> there's so much to love about coffee that really it's, um, you know, we could, we could do this every week, but uh, we we've done um, in recent weeks, we accidentally bought a bag of, um, whole beans, um, as opposed to the pre-ground stuff. Um, but fortunately I had a grinder, um, from, I don't know, some other part of my life that in my lack of decluttering, I still had. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I threw the beans in there, ground it, and it's, it's quite good uh, to, to actually do the grinding yourself uh, and have the coffee from that. So I will, I will put a shout out to actually grinding. It doesn't take that much longer. I think it really only takes like 30 seconds longer to grind it in this very quick grinder. So um, I'm trying to motivate myself to do that more mornings than that. Awesome. How about you, Swati? A love of the week that doesn't have to be coffee related. It yeah. does not have to be coffee Definitely related. Definitely does not. Um, love of the week. This is so not anything about balance or anything enriching. Homeland just started on Showtime and my husband and I are totally addicted to that show. So we just watched um, the second episode of the season and it was very thrilling. And I cannot see what, cannot wait to see what Carrie Matheson does next week. Awesome. That was that was a perfect love of the week. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate you sharing your your life and your well, story. Thank you for having me. It's like really validating to um, to listen to this podcast and see that there are a lot of other women who are going through similar struggles in life. So I really appreciate you guys doing this. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. So we've been getting some awesome Q&A Q questions from listeners. People are posting on our blogs, and we really appreciate you doing it. I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball here in that I overheard this question, so it was not directed at me specifically, um, but I was running a five-miler last Saturday, and these three women were running it together, and they were like running at the exact same pace as me, so I couldn't help but hear their conversations through big chunks of this until I finally managed to speed up and get away from it. But anyway, the, what, one of the ladies posed this question, which I actually thought was a pretty interesting one. I wanted to hear what Sarah was going to say about it, too. So this woman's daughter was starting kindergarten, and they live close enough to the school that she could walk her to kindergarten in the morning when that starts up. Um, however, her work hours usually start before school starts. And she was pretty sure that her boss was going to be fine with it. Like, her boss would, would have okayed it. But she said... I'm worried about how everyone else in the office is going to take it. Like, I think everyone will be so ticked off about me getting this special treatment that it's just going to be a huge problem. People are going to be whining about it. So I really just don't think I can do it. I was like, well, that is an interesting 
issue. Like, so if you think your manager is okay with it, but you're worried about the social dynamics of the office. And now, Sarah, you have negotiated for and gotten an 80% schedule. Yeah. You've gotten an accommodation there. So what, what was the social dynamics there? And have you worried about it at all? I didn't think to worry about it at all. But one thing I have made very clear with my coworkers is that I want them to understand that I also get 80% pay. So I've brought that up sort of casually on a number of occasions. <laughs> Anytime when it's felt like, oh, well, she's not doing, okay, well, remember that, you know, there's there are trade-offs here that I had to make. And I think um, for this person, number one, I would, if her manager is okay with it, and especially if it isn't going to be directly impacting others, you know, it's different if you're taking your calls out of a call schedule, that's going to directly give someone else more calls. So that's, that's a whole other issue. But if it's more just like people are going to see her arriving sooner or perhaps even having a shorter day or doing something at home, if her manager's okay with that, then I don't necessarily think there is a role for her to be worried about what everybody else thinks. But if it makes her feel better, she could do what I do and sort of casually but purposefully I don't know, like emphasize the ways in which she's making up for that concession. So perhaps she's going to be coming in, you know, an hour later, a couple days a week, but she could mention how, oh, I've been doing the early email shift from home and then I get a break. Like, you know, somehow remind everyone how she is getting her work done at an alternate time that they are not doing work. And then she should be able to do it. Yeah. I I was also thinking, you know, it would be the kind of thing that maybe she doesn't have to think daily. I mean, we talk a lot on this podcast about think 168 hours, not 24. Like maybe she could walk her daughter one or two days a week and be in the office at the normal time the other days. And that way she's doing both. Like she's putting in her FaceTime at the appropriate start time, but she's also getting to do this, you know, morning shift with her daughter some days. Um, So that might be a way to, have it work. Um, but yeah, you know, she starts work remotely at 7am and, and sends a lot of emails, like knocks a lot of stuff out at that time that can really show that she's still contributing, or she could volunteer to take on something that other people don't necessarily want to do. Um, that, you know, it'd be very straightforward, like, oh, you know, we have these clients who sometimes need things later in the night or something, you know, maybe she volunteers for that occasionally, you know, just thinking about ways that to show that she's still a team player. She's just asking for one specific accommodation, which again, you know, her boss is fine with. Um, And I'd also be curious if they would, if, if like, are we sure that they would even notice? <laughs> yeah, that there is that. That's the other thing. I'm not sure my colleagues, if I didn't point it out, they might. They're so everyone's busy thinking about their own schedule and their own FaceTime that they there might not be as much paying attention to it as you think. Yeah, and especially if she's doing it, doing the walking, you know, just a few times a week. Like they don't know. Like nobody's counting how many coats are on their desk chairs at a certain time. I mean, that's, we all live in our own little worlds. And I think people notice a lot less than we actually think they do sometimes. Um, but she could also just try it and see um, and and see if there is the sort of pushback or if there isn't, then that's a wonderful little discovery. Runner, um, if you're listening. Yes. Let us know know how it worked. (laughs) I was the lady in the pink jacket. So if you're running this race in Ambler, Pennsylvania, and like a lady in a pink jacket was right by you for big chunks of the time, please let us know. (laughs) Anyway, this has been Best of Both Worlds. This is episode 33. Tune in next week for more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. 
And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there, way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals, and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu.